When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hi. Hello. Welcome back to Old Millennials, a deep dive on shallow topics from the late 90s and 2000s. I am one of your hosts, Emily Beijing. And I am your other host, Margot Poupard. Before we get into today's topic, Margot, I want to check in on you. How are you doing? <laughs> um, you know, just sort of like languishing about. I, you know, I know I've touted my own little horn on this podcast about being a feminist, but I really cannot believe that we're choosing to talk about the WNBA in a week so filled with rich <laughs> gossip. We've got an Atlanta housewife pulling in, I don't know her, on a cast member she introduced on the very show she is on because she is now engaged to that woman's husband. Oh my God. We've got Benefer 2.0 sending us straight back to the simpler time of 2002. Uh, still Jenny from the block. I got an adrenaline rush so pure from just seeing an old tabloid cover of them together that somebody posted being like, it's real. It's so <laughs> That real. I can't even it's explain just... it. I, I don't know. And then I rewatched the Jenny from the block video and I was like, this is this is where I belong right now. I watched a Today Show segment where Savannah Guthrie asked Matt Damon about this. He was there to promote his movie. She just wanted to ask him about Benefer 2.0. And I was like, thank you, Savannah. Thank you for getting Matt Damon's approval and opinion on this matter. The voice of the people, Savannah Guthrie. She knows what the people want. And he said something like, that'd be awesome. I love them together. I was like, Matt Damon is just like us. He knows what we want. 
<laughs> or as my husband calls him, Matthew Damon, which is similar to your David Grohl comment. I know. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> also, this week has blessed us with the news that Ellen is canceled. Not her, but like her show is canceled. Dakota also, Johnson. Pioneer. Yeah. <laughs> That's not right, Ellen. Also, I can't believe you are dragging me out of my depression that is surrounding John Mulaney and his wife, oh Anna God. Tendler, getting divorced because I over-relate to the relationship to talk about the WNBA. And I can't talk about how sad I am about their divorce. I, but if we want to keep it current to basketball news, the Warriors just beat the two most baffling teams in the West right now, the Timberwolves and the Suns. The fucking Suns. I have not thought about the Suns since Steve Nash was on there. No, man. And now everybody's like, what the fuck is going to happen with the playoffs? Oh, my God. Like, the Warriors are coming back. Blah. Also, some asshole at the game last night had a fucking support, an emotional support rabbit, which is not a thing. And he brought it to Chase Center. And every time they cut to that poor, distraught rabbit trying to <laughs> exit its body, I screamed. But regardless, I suppose I will come and do the job that we agreed that I would do and talk about some WNBA players. Because if you're anything like me, your knowledge sort of starts and ends with Lisa Leslie and Cheryl Swoops. I hear you on the oh, what a week sentiment. This research really boiled down to a lot of, oh, look, this is what competency and integrity looks like. There are sadly no really scandalous things or scams. The closest I got to this during my research was when the the NBA had to sell off the teams in 2002 because of the dot-com bubble. And I was hoping, just hoping there'd be a bigger scam story there. But no, just money troubles. I was... So devastated that we can't like, you know, we are very supportive of the WNBA. We think that they are amazing humans for what they have done and the, you know, everything they've had to go through in the sport. But there is no, no, no scamming us. There is no scandal. (laughs) Like we said earlier, like it's almost as if the WNBA is punished for being too good at their jobs, which is just sort of like a theme for women in general. So in that sense, the WNBA represents us all. Like we're always going to be punished for being too good at our jobs and then continue to be asked asinine questions. But I think that like almost... It, we almost tell on ourselves when you look at the WNBA top search results and the very first question is, can women dunk? Like, oh, fuck you, dude, no. who asked that to Google. And I mean, I'm fully guilty of it. Like, I can't tell you that I've ever watched a WNBA game from start to finish. Have you? I have. And I've actually been to one in person before. Ooh, Who'd you see? Well, I've seen the Washington Mystics actually more than once because I've sung the national anthem there with uh, my acapella group in D.C. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, But before we do get started today, so I know you had never watched a game from start to finish. As you were a kid, though, do you think you were really bought into the hype of when the WNBA started and a bunch of other women's sports leagues? I don't think so. I I was very obsessed with the women's Olympic basketball team. But for whatever reason, I think it's mostly because I grew up in L.A., as everybody knows. And um, our team was the Lakers. And the Lakers kind of swallow yeah. everything around them, unfortunately, for the L.A. Sparks. Like, I knew Lisa Leslie Mostly because I'd seen her on TV, but also because of her association with the Lakers, the Sparks association with the Lakers. And I always thought it was kind of funny that, like, you know, we had three basketball teams, but we only really talk about one of them. Yeah. So I wouldn't say that I didn't I didn't go into 
I didn't get into basketball like trying to not buy into the WNBA hype. I just don't think it was marketed to me in 97 as like, I don't know, a fourth grader or whatever. Although I will say as it became more popular in the early 2000s, it did inspire me to try out for the after school basketball team where I immediately broke my finger. Oh so my God. I will, I will take, I will send that L straight to Lisa Leslie. <laughs> <laughs> we, so I was kind of into it. Um, I was into the mystics and I, I thought it was kind of cool. I played basketball from fourth grade to like eighth grade. I am a terrible basketball player, but I still played it and I still loved the game. Um, I thought that the player, the star player of the Mystics, Shamika Holskaw, was like this amazing star. Um, there was a jersey that was raffled off at a basketball camp I attended that one of the former like assistant coaches for the Celtics was like in charge of. Um, to be fair, this was not like some private. There were like hundreds of kids at this thing. <laughs> it was oh, a date. Okay. I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> I should. I was like, so what were your odds going into this, Emily? Yes, it <laughs> Did was. Did you uh, get the jersey? <laughs> yes, in my one-on-one session with this private. No, I did not, sadly. <laughs> I, uh, But I did remember wanting it very badly. Um, yeah, I think that WNBA ultimately was just a bigger part of, but for lack of a better term, girl power movement that was like very big in the mid-90s and was all around mm-hmm. us. I think like particularly 1996 is an interesting year because it's the release of the Spice Girls single wannabe. It's the year the Magnificent Seven dominate women's gymnastics at the Atlanta Games. Um, And it's also the same year where the Women's National Basketball Association is introduced, a.k.a. the WNBA. I um, am going to get into the history here because there's a lot of interesting like bits and pieces of rival leagues and leagues that kind of started it all. But really, the founding coincided with a lot of important moments in U.S. sports that we just kind of talked about. The women's gymnastics team, the U.S. women's domination in figure skating uh, in 1998 with Tara Lipinski, Michelle Kwan. And then before, you know, Nancy versus Tanya, you know, barring the actual incident. Uh, We're actually talented skaters. Uh, You had the rise of the Williams sisters in tennis. The U.S. women's soccer team would go on and win the 99 World Cup. It's really important to note that most of these athletes that I've just talked about are the first to have been through um, the whole kind of school system in a post-Title IX world. Um, So Title IX, for those of you who don't know, was a civil rights law that passed in 1972 as part of the education amendments. The law prohibits sex-based discrimination in any school or other education program that receives federal money. Obviously, we've seen weird variations of this play out, but basically it's what guarantees you the ability to have women's sports in addition to men's sports. The WNBA was founded on April 22nd, 1996, as the women's counterpart to the National Basketball Association, obviously the NBA, and the inaugural season began a year later in June of 97. So the WNBA is actually not the first time there had been a professional women's basketball league in the U.S. The first one, which was the Women's Professional Basketball League, was started in 1978, existed until 81. And it lasts for only three seasons. Uh, And then the founder of that, Bill Byrne, goes on to found the successor, the Women's American Basketball Association, which was founded in 1984 um, as a result of the L.A. Olympics that took place that year and the women's basketball team winning a gold medal at the Olympics. They only lasted for a season. And so for a while, there was not really much of a basketball landscape, right? Um, You had one other one come up, which was the Women's American Basketball Association in 92. But really, there wasn't much going on in the landscape. And if at that point, you kind of graduated from a U.S. college program, you had very limited options. You could play in one of these kind of 
okay leagues that really didn't have any money, sponsorships, and no NBA backing. You could play in one of the leagues abroad where you could make some money. You could do pretty well, but ultimately, like, your family could never see you on TV or anything. And then you could coach. And that was kind of it if you wanted to career, you know, continue your career in basketball or, like, become a reporter. But ultimately, there really wasn't a professional route. Um, So most of the women who are going to become a part of the WNBA will have been in other jobs. Maybe they were coaching, maybe they had left the basketball world. But I thought that was very interesting because, yeah, there really wasn't much of a path until then. So around 1995, talk begins around forming another women's league. This coincides in a surge for popularity around women's basketball. The UConn Huskies women's team in college had just come off of a 30 five to nothing championship season in 1995. And then the next year, the summer games happen in Atlanta. So the women's team leading up to this Olympics would go on this crazy tour. I think it was 52 cities and they were super popular. They were, you know, playing exhibition games at that point. This really kind of draws the attention of David Stern, the then commissioner of the NBA. He sees how popular this is going to be. Um, He decides that they're going to have build a case to have a women's league. So that's really kind of the beginnings of what, you know, got you to that point of the NBA starting. Um, so I'm just going to go into what the announcement looks like. It was officially made on April 24th, 1996. It would lead into some player signings, which were announced shortly thereafter. Cheryl Swoop signed on to play for the Houston Comets. Rebecca Lobo signed on to play for the New York Liberty. And then Lisa Leslie would sign to play for the LA Sparks. Slowly but surely, you had all these players coming in from the Atlanta games. Um, and the announcement came with the league's motto, We Got Next, which had been the women's team chair, the team's chair at the Atlanta games and is used in street hoops to claim who gets the court next. And I realized by saying that I sound like your mother trying to explain to you <laughs> lingo on the street. Uh, but that's what it is. Um, How do you do, fellow well, basketball yes. players? Exactly. <laughs> Um, around that time, though, I know that you kind of went into some of the players and what was happening for them leading up to that moment and, you know, what life kind of looked like once they were starting the WNBA. Yeah. So for context, I am pulling from the top 15 players of all times, and all of them happen to be Olympians. I, I also want to preface this by saying that, like you said earlier, Emily, about how there weren't a ton of pathways into sports if you are a woman. There aren't a ton of paths for you to take in order to make the WNBA. There are only sort of like two or three different paths. So there's going to be a lot of overlap in that sense too. So not only am I pulling from the top 15 players, I'm going to zoom in even further and only focus on the eight original teams that they launched with, which were the Charlotte Sting, Cleveland Rockers, Houston Comets, and New York Liberty in the Eastern Conference. And in the West, we have LA Sparks, Phoenix Mercury, Sacramento Monarchs, and the Utah Stars. And it's stars with two Zs, which I really, really, really need to point out. <clears throat> Sadly, I don't have anyone from the Utah Stars. What One thing I want to note about these players beyond the overlap and repetition um, is that I'm also not going to go into or explain the USA basketball aspect of all of their careers because they either joined the National Basketball or the National Women's Basketball League or they joined USA Basketball at one point or another. That's a whole separate topic that should probably just be covered by A30 for 30 and not me. And lastly, I want to say 
I love basketball, but I find sports stats to be one of the most boring things on planet Earth. Someone once tried to tell me about a baseball player's batting average, and I literally felt my soul leave my body. It's like when someone tries (laughs) yet again to explain the stock market to me. Just know that I don't understand, and I never will, and I'm okay with that. So with all of that in mind. you, I'm (laughs) dating a baseball player who happens to trade. Not really. Stock market baseball player. What a combo. I'm sure he has no anger issues at all. (laughs) Not one bit. Cool as a cucumber. So we're going to start with the Charlotte Sting. I'm going to talk about Don Staley. So here are just sort of like top level basketball card stats. She is from Philly. She went to Dobbins Tech. She went to college in Virginia. She was a first-round pick, ninth overall in 1999, selected by the Charlotte Sting. Her playing career was from 1996 to 2006. Her position was guard. Her number was five. And she is currently a coach, like a lot of women. I actually think she went to Old Dominion, which is where Lauren from The Bachelor went, a.k.a. Ari's wife. Uh, No, she went to UVA or University of Virginia. Oh, I got that one wrong. But anyway, someone else, that. but somebody else did go to Old Dominion. I will talk That's about that. I was her getting later. them confused. Okay, okay, good, good, good. good. <laughs> yeah. She's not on the Charlotte Sting. I think she's on uh she's on the Comets, but um she did go to Old Dominion. You are correct. Someone did. Okay. <laughs> All right. So in her final season at Merle Dobbins Tech High School, she was named the National High School Player of the Year. She went on to attend University of Virginia, where she earned her degree in rhetoric and communication. During her four seasons in college, she led her team to four NCAA tournaments, three Final Fours, and one national championship game. She was named the ACC Female Athlete of the Year and the National Player of the Year in 1991 and in 1992. Staley finished her college career with 2,135 points and held the NCAA record for career steals with 500, or I'm sorry, with 454, which has since been broken by current record holder Natalie White. She's also the school's all-time scoring leader and has the ACC's all-time leader in assists at 729, but those records have since been broken by former UVA stars Monica Wright and Sharni Zoll, respectively. Her number 24 at UVA is retired. In 95, after graduation, Staley played professional basketball in France, Italy, Brazil, and Spain before joining the American Basketball League. In 1996, she became part of the Richmond Rage and led the team to the first ABL Finals in 1997. The following season, the team moved back to Philly, and she was named the 1997 All-ABL Team and All-ABL Team Leader. And that's what led to her attracting attention in the WNBA. And in 1999... She was part of the draft and was selected as the ninth overall pick by the Charlotte Sting. In 2001, she led the Sting to the championship game, the WNBA playoffs. While she was a WNBA player, she started coaching at Temple University, their Owls women's basketball team in 2000. And after eight years at Temple, she led the program to six NCAA tournaments, three regular season conference championships, and four conference tournament titles. Every single woman I am talking oh about God. today has stats just like, I mean, <laughs> just titles after titles after titles. And I promise you, I tried to cut some down. I tried to consolidate some. And they are all a mouthful, too. It can't just be like, and then she won best coach of all time. Like, there's no, <laughs> and there's all a bunch of like letters and abbreviations. So please know if I trip up, it's not intentional. It's just these women are incredibly talented and have just are very, very good at what they do and they just win a ton of shit. And that's why they still, that's why they were a part of the WNBA. That's why they're still working as coaches now. So just know 
this is par for the course. Get used to this. I'm also just shocked at the number of them that would coach a full winter regular basketball season for a college and then just go and take their summer break to just, oh, play in the WNBA and travel. Like that is for the love of the game. Also pay discrepancies, I'm sure. But like for the love of the game to an extreme that I just I admire. Well, you know, if you're like Becky Hammond, who I'll talk about last, you know, you kind of end up parlaying that stuff into an NBA coaching position if you're lucky. So I I kind of understand they see it as like a future career path. And especially when you're playing a sport, you never know when and what injury is going to take you out and then possibly end your career. So you always want I mean, women are planners. So we are going to be thinking ahead, like what happens if, when, whatever. And like, you're, especially if you go to college, it's like that's you're just use your degree as like a backup plan. And so you're always thinking about that kind of shit in the back of your mind, I'm sure, yes. especially with like family. And I'm sure family doesn't fucking let you forget it either. 100%. Um, on August 1st, 2005, Staley was traded to the Houston Comets. Staley announced before the start of the WNBA season that she would be retiring after the Comets season was over. The Comets made the playoffs and faced the Sacramento Monarchs in the first round. Unfortunately, the Monarchs swept the Comets and won the series 2-0, ending her career. Not like that, but like that's that's the note that she went out on. <laughs> it sounded grim. It sounds less grim in my brain when I was writing it. And now it sounds like, oh, yeah, like it's not like the monarchs like took away her career and told her to go fuck herself. Like that's just how it ended. I mean, Sacramento can do that to people. But <laughs> but they just primarily do it to your spirit. They don't like physically take things from you. <laughs> Post WNBA, though. In 2008, she was named head coach for the women's basketball team at the University of South Carolina, and by late 2014, her team achieved the program's first number one ranking, making her the only and second individual to both play on and coach a number one ranked team. Staley has gone on to lead South Carolina in five SEC regular season championships and six SEC tournament championships, seven Sweet 16s three Final Fours, and in 2017, South Carolina won the program's first NCAA Women's Basketball Championship. She was voted by fans in 2011. I know, these women are just fucking overachievers. It's crazy. This this is, again, this is just the beginning. I don't want to spoil anything, but there's more. Uh, in 2011, she was uh, voted by fans as one of the top 15 players in the history of WNBA, at which point they only had a 15-year history. And if we haven't mentioned it already, This year is the 25th anniversary of the WNBA, which is part of the reason why we decided to talk about the WNBA today, in spite of me trying to force a Benifer episode, but that's fine. One day we'll we'll just be making side content and I'll be able to have a platform to talk about my dumb, boring gossip stuff. (laughs) Any hoodle. In 2020, Staley also became the first person to win a Naismith Award as a player and also as a coach. She also won the other three major National Coach of the Year awards after she led her team to a 32-win season and making them number one in both major polls before the tournament was canceled because of 2020. In 2021, though, she led her team to a third Final Four before losing in a controversial game to fucking Stanford. Uh, It was very close, 66-65. to And now we're going to move on to the Houston Comets. I'm going to be talking about Cynthia Cooper, whose basketball stats are thus. She went to Locke High School in California, or Los Angeles, sorry. And she also, she went to college, also in LA, at USC. 
Her playing career was from 86 to 2003. Her position was point guard slash shooting guard. Her number was 14, and she is currently a coach as well. So in her early career, she went to lock in Los Angeles, which is actually in Watts, which historically was opened in response to the Watts riots and named after a philosopher slash writer, Anna Leroy Locke. And it's a very well-regarded charter school. Cooper would later enroll at USC, where she was part of both track and field and basketball. She led her team to the California State Championship, scoring an average of 31 points per game and scoring 44 points in a single game. Cooper was named a Los Angeles Player of the Year, and she was a four-year letter winner at guard for USC from 82 to 86. She led the women of Troy, that's their name, to the NCAA appearance in all four years, final four appearances in three of her four years, and back-to-back NCAA tournament titles in 83 and 84. After the 84 championship, though, she briefly left school but was proceeded to return. She completed four years at USC, although she did not graduate. Cooper closed out her collegiate career with an appearance in the 1986 NCAA tournament championship game and a spot on the NCAA Final Four all-tournament team. She ranks eighth on the USC's all-time scoring list. FYI, she ended up earning her bachelor degree from Prairie View A&M University in 2005. In a section I have titled, Everyone Goes to Europe for a Little While, she did play internationally for a stint, especially in that year that she was gone. She played in Spain. Uh, she played in Parma in Italy, uh, Alcamo also in Italy. And during her time in Spain, she was the league leading scorer. And in the almost 10 years she played in the Italian league, she was the league's leading scorer eight times and finished second in two other years. In 1987, she was the MVP of the European All-Stars team. She was also named All-Star team of the Italian leagues in 96 and 97. So now we're at the WNBA. She's 34 and she is signed to play with the Houston Comets. She leads the league in scoring three consecutive years and sets a franchise record for four WNBA championships. She's voted MVP in 97 and 98. In addition to that, Sportswoman of the Year in 98 by the Women's Sports Foundation. Cooper, along with Cheryl Swoops, who I'm going to talk about next, and Tina Thompson, were basically like the Steph Clay and Draymond of the Houston Comets. Cooper retired in 2000 and became the first player in WNBA history to score 500, 1,000, 2,000, and then 2,500 career points. She scored 30 or more points in 16 of 120 of her games and had a 92-game double-figure scoring streak from 97 to 2000. Cooper briefly tried her hand at coaching with the Phoenix Mercury for a season and a half from 2001 to 2002, but returned to the WNBA by 2003. She announced her final retirement from professional basketball in 2004. Her appearance in the game as a 40-year-old made her the oldest player at the time to play in the WNBA, which I just want to go into a quick side note slash rant. I will give sports stats one thing, which is they talk about everyone, women and men, as if they're on the brink of death once they hit the age of 29. Remember when Kobe, RIP, before he retired, every time he'd get on the court, they'd call him brave for being over 30 and literally going to work. They do it to LeBron now. Like he's going to collapse from going bald at 35. Serena Williams, yeah, she lo- she lost, I believe, Win- Wimbledon this summer, or she and she lost to someone who was like twenty one, and I was like, she is in her forties, and she beat someone ten years younger than her in the semifinals. Like she is at fucking Wimbledon and has won more Grand Slams than like I don't know what. Like I just yeah, fuck, fuck that, 
fuck that. Yeah, all I want to say to these sports commentators that treat everybody like they're um they should be in a retirement home like ASAP and that they're going to break their little brittle bones as soon as they step on the court. Do not worry about these people. They are very fucking rich, okay? They don't think about you. Don't talk about their age. Stop acting this way. It's so silly. People over 40 exist. Realize it. I don't know. Learn it, live it, love it, sweetie. So back to Cooper. Post-career, she served as a TV analyst and halftime reporter for the Houston Rockets. In May of 2005, Cooper was named the head coach of the women's basketball team at Prairie View A&M University, where she earned her degree, and her impact on Prairie View was immediate. In their second season, Cooper led the underdog Panthers to the SWAC tournament title, netting the school its first-ever women's NCAA tournament bid. In January of 2008, The NCAA penalized Prairie View for NCAA rules violations committed by Cooper, reducing the number of scholarships for the team. The school was placed on four years probation for, quote, major violations in their 2005-2006 year that ranged from Cooper giving players small amounts of cash to various forms of unauthorized practices that gave players free tickets to Comets games, which is an NCAA infraction, which, by the way, Fuck the NCAA. Yeah, make these, yeah. If you haven't seen the 30 for 30 about how they basically rob these fucking kids blind and everybody makes money but them. Everybody, everybody. makes millions of dollars everybody. but them. And their coaches are sometimes put in a position of having to help them financially. And then you turn around and then penalize the coaches. Fuck you, NCAA. They've done been a corrupt organization. It's like them... And what's the Euro Soccer League? Like, all of you are bad. You're all it's, bad people. Yeah. FIFA, FIFA, the FIFA IOC, and- like, they're all corrupt organizations. Yeah. The NCAA just takes advantage of a lot of poor kids, promises them a scholarship, but zero sort of living expenses. And sometimes it's like you're expecting this athlete to be able to afford the, for themselves to be able to eat. Like, it's – anyway, long story short, it's well, bullshit. Yeah. It is bullshit. There are so many rules and clauses. They can't even, like, have a job to support themselves. It is absolutely ridiculous. They're yes. expected to basically have – just be a full-time student and maintain a 4.0 GPA while being a full-time athlete while also miraculously paying rent and whatever else they need to be doing. Anyway, in May of 2010, she was announced as the next head coach of UNC Wilmington Seahawks women's basketball team. During her first year at UNCW, Cooper was named CAA Coach of the Year. In 2012 – Cooper resigned from UNCW and became the head coach at Texas Southern, a move that gave her the opportunity to return to Houston, where she spent a lot of time as a player. In 2013, she was introduced as the head coach for USC's women's basketball team. And in 2017, her now she goes by Cooper Dyke, has resigned as head coach of USC following a 14-16 season in 2016 and an overall not amazing record of 70-56. to 56. In April 2019, though, she returned as a coach at Texas Southern. So basically she was bouncing around as a coach in different places. But her legacy has gone on in the WNBA. She was named one of the top 15 players in 2011 at the All-Star Game. And during game one of the 2016 WNBA Finals, she was named a WNBA top 20 at 20. Cooper was inducted into the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame in 2009. And now Cheryl Swoops, the legendary Cheryl Swoops. Her basketball card stats are as follow. She is from Brownfield, Texas. She went to college in South Plains and then Texas Tech. She was an allocated draft pick in 1997, selected by the Houston Comets, and her career spanned from 1997 to 2011. She is a shooting guard slash small forward. Her number is 22, and her coaching career is current. 
Born in Brownfield, Texas, Swoops was raised by her mother, Louise Swoops, and played basketball with her three older brothers. She began competing at age seven at a local children's league called Little Dribblers, which I thought was so cute that I had to keep it. Oh. <laughs> She played basketball at Brownfield High School, initially was recruited by University of Texas, but swooped left school early after arrival without playing a game and then later enrolled in South Plains College. After playing at South Plains for two years, Swoops transferred to Texas Tech near her hometown. In 93, Swoops won the NCAA Women's Basketball Championship with the Texas Tech Lady Raiders, which is a fun name, during her senior year. Her jersey was retired by the school the following year, making her one of only three Lady Raiders to be honored in this way. The others are Carolyn Thompson and Krista Kirkland, Swoops' teammates from the 1993 championship team. Swoops was also the 1993 winner of the Naismith College Player of the Year Award and the Honda Sports Award and was selected as that year's WBCA Player of the Year and was chosen as the Division I All-American squad both in 92 and in 93. Swoops was named the 1993 Sportswoman of the Year in her team category by the Women's Sports Foundation. Swoops also won the Female Associated Press Athlete of the Year in 93. 93 is a big year for her, the same year that she won that Honda Sports Award. Olympics pre-WNBA time, Swoops gained national prominence when she won a gold medal with the USA basketball women's team in the 1996 Games and became a focal point of the WNBA. The 1996 Olympic win over Brazil, 117 to 87, is considered by some to be some of the best women's basketball they'd ever seen, end quote. She was a three-time Olympic gold medalist, by the way, 96, 2000, and 2004. My God. I know. This woman is, like, she's she has a lot of firsts, and she's won a lot of stuff. And again, I've done my best to trim for time, but Cheryl Swoops is fucking legendary. What a fucking legend. For So real. she was recruited. So Swoops was recruited for the Houston Comets by the WNBA in 1997 for their inaugural season. She returned only six weeks after giving birth to her son to play the last third of the WNBA inaugural season and led the Comets in 1997 to the WNBA championship. So this this woman has birth, comes back, doesn't even play a full season, still gets her team to the championships. Like, okay, cool. Yeah, not a big deal. Like, that's fine. I'll just pop a baby out and then just go pop myself into a WNBA championship in its inaugural season. No biggie. This woman is unfucking stoppable as a member of the Houston Comets, she accumulated over 2,000 career points, 500 career rebounds, 300 career assists, and 200 career steals. 200 career steals! That's insane! <laughs> she was one of the first three-time WNBA MVPs in 2000, 2002, and 2004. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Five and the first three-time WNBA Defensive Player of the Year in 2000, 2002, and 2003. Swoops is also a four-time WNBA championship winner, 1997 through 2000. Swoops is also the second player in WNBA history to win both the regular season MVP award and the All-Star Game MVP award in the same season after Lisa Leslie. Swoops is also, uh, there's more, took a deep breath. Swoops is also the first player in WNBA history to set a record for a triple-double in both the regular season and the playoffs. That's some Draymond Green shit, baby. Swoops is the first woman basketball player to also have a Nike shoe named after her, the Air Swoops. Suck on that. In March 2008, Swoops signed with the Seattle Storm, ending her 11-year career with the Houston Comets. She was waived by the Storm, which sounds really funny when you say it out loud. (laughs) On February 3rd, 2009, two days after her 40th birthday in 2011, she returned to the WNBA and joined the Tulsa Shock. And in August of 2011, she hit a buzzer-beating shot to edge the Los Angeles Sparks 77-75 to and end the Shock's WNBA record 20-game losing streak. Also in 2011, she was announced as one of the top 15 players in the 15-year history of the WNBA. And you got damn right. She was also, in her post-career, named one of the 20 female athletes of the decade for 2000 to 2010 by Sports Illustrated. And she was also named an LGBT History Month icon by the Equity Forum. Swoops came out in 2005, becoming one of the most high-profile athletes on a sports team to do so publicly. In 2017, Swoops returned to her alma mater, Texas Tech, and was hired as the Women's Basketball Program's Director of Player Development, where her job included resuming work as a broadcast color analyst for the Lady Raider Games. Following the firing of head coach Candy Whitaker in January of 2018, Swoops was promoted to regular assistant coach, where she still coaches. Now on to the Sacramento Monarchs, superior to the Sacramento Kings. Yolanda Griffith, her basketball card stats. She went to Carver High School in Illinois. She went to college in Palm Beach and ended up graduating from Florida Atlantic. She was a draft pick in 1999 in round one overall second pick, and was selected by the Sacramento Monarchs. Her playing career spanned from 1993 to 2009. Her position is center, and her numbers are 33, hey, Scotty Pippen, and 13. So her early career, being from Chicago, Yolanda Griffith went to Carver High School in Chicago, which is where Tim Hardaway and a bunch of other basketball players you know went to high school. Her senior year, 88 to 89, she was named Parade Magazine's All-American basketball team, as well as the first team All-American in softball. She kind of has like a LeBron-like origin story, as a lot of these basketball players do. She was offered a scholarship to play for the women's basketball team at the University of Iowa, but had to cancel because she gave birth to her daughter, Candace. She later attended Palm Beach Junior College in Wake Worth, Florida, where she earned a junior college All-American honors in 1990, and then transferred to Florida Atlantic University, which was then a Division II school where she graduated in 1993, earning a Kodak Division II Player of the Year honor. While in school, she also supported herself and her daughter by working for a car repo company, which I found to be oh a, very in, a very Florida way to have a job. Like, of course, yes. Like, of course, you live in Florida. You go to school in Florida. You work for a car repo place. Like, duh, all this adds up for me. <laughs> it's that or a theme park. One of the two. or Yes, you're either dressing up as a character or you're repoing someone's car. (laughs) Sometimes both. Sometimes at the same time. (laughs) Prior to joining the WNBA, she played pro in Germany. In 97, she joined 
the ABL, where she was selected to be on the Long Beach Stingrays and was the number one overall pick there. In their only season, Griffith led the Stingrays to the brink of an ABL title, only to lose to the defending champions, the Columbus Quest. <laughs> Which is just, why Why you gotta go for such bad names? The Columbus uh. <laughs> Quest? Come on, y'all. It does get, kind do- of feel like, I don't know, for some reason, just like gives me vibes of like uh, what Legends of the Hidden Temple could have gone through if it was like a more futuristic show like quest <laughs> mystics like uh, i mean i know some of them are related to their I, to their team their male counterpart best <laughs> i think that you're on to something though especially since did you see that they're gonna reboot legends of the hidden temple for yes. either like paramount or like peacock or one of those networks. hire us nickelodeon <laughs> Or just, like, let us go on so that you and I can, like, scream and cry our way through that obstacle course. (laughs) So that we can get, like, a gift certificate to Olive Garden or, like, whatever the prize is. And a karaoke machine. (gasps) Emily, we could get our own karaoke machine. New York's hottest bar. (laughs) Is Emily's apartment. Yeah. Which isn't even in New York. (laughs) With her Legends of the Hidden Temple 1 karaoke machine. (laughs) We digress heavily. Okay. Back to Griffith. She was named the 1997-1998 ABL Defensive Player of the Year and also an all-ABL first team. She finished second in the ABL 1998 Most Valuable Player voting to her future 2000 Summer Olympic teammate, Natalie Williams. The Long Beach franchise folded after the 98 season, and she was traded to the expansion team, the Chicago Condors. She played there briefly before the whole thing folded in December of 98. Prior to that, Griffith ranked fifth among the league's leaders in scoring. So now that the ABL is defunct, she is drafted by the Sacramento Monarchs. She is selected number two as an overall draft pick in 1999. And in 2001, Griffith set the WNBA single-season record for most offensive rebounds with 162. In 2005, the Monarchs won their first WNBA title over the Connecticut Sun. Three games to one in a best-of-five series, Griffith was named the Finals MVP. In April of 2008, after nine seasons with the Monarchs, Griffith signed with the Seattle Storm. In February of 2009, Griffith signed with the Indiana Fever after her one-year stint with the Storm. Again, that doesn't like roll off the tongue very smoothly. It <laughs> makes me feel like I'm saying storm. <laughs> you sign with the storm, you're gonna get the rain. In June of 2009, Griffith unfortunately tore her her Achilles tendon, which is honestly, even though I don't have a chance of this ever happening to me, is a great fear because I've watched it happen to basketball players oh in real God. time. That I'm like, this is horrifying that your Achilles can just fucking snap like that. Terrifying. And I have seen arthroscopic surgery on a video because I took sports medicine as an elective. Fun fact, <laughs> in high school. But we had to watch an arthroscopic I'm probably butchering that word, surgery, which was on a a torn ACL, and it was disgusting. That's rough stuff. That's that's harder than when somebody at the dance studio, well, they didn't make me, but they, like, offered to show me their LASIK eye surgery. And I was like, no, I'm good. And then then I, like, walk by, and I just, I can't help but look, and I watch them flip her fucking eyelid open, and I was just like, oh, my God. I was just like, no. No, 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 no. As somebody no. who passed out in anatomy class when we had to dissect cats, like, I, I can't. I don't. I'm not built for it. I'm so sorry. So, yes, watching somebody's Achilles snap in real time 
unless it's Paris Hilton in House of Wax, where I know it's just a movie. I, I can't. It's a and now it's a fear. Anyway, she she tore it in a game against the storm, her former team, which is kind of ironic, don't you think? She was out for the season. And since she retired at the end of the season, it just sort of ended her career, which is really kind of an unfortunate to, note to go out on. But during her time in the WNBA, Griffith was a seven-time WNBA All-Star and won the WNBA MVP Newcomer of the Year and also the Defensive Player of the Year Award in 99. Also in 2011, she was part of the voted-upon top 15 players in the 15 years of the WNBA's existence. And in 2016, she was once again honored by the WNBA with the top 20 at 20 celebration of the league's 20th season. Griffith was inducted into the 2014 Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. It was her first year of eligibility. In 2011, Griffith accepted a assistant coach job with the Dartmouth University, which is an Ivy League school, and she is currently an assistant coach with the Boston College Eagles, another fantastic name. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about her teammate, Tisha Pinchiero. I probably butchered that last name, to which I say apologies. So she is, to go over her basketball card set, she's the one who went to Old Dominion from 1994 to 1998. Uh, okay, okay. She was drafted in 98. She was a first-round pick, second overall, just like her teammate, And she went to the Sacramento Monarchs. Her playing career was from 1998 to 2012. Her position was point guard and her number was 21. Tisha's early career, which Tisha is short for Patricia, was she was born in Figueira da Faz, Portugal. She played at Old Dominion from 94 to 98 and helped lead the Lady Monarchs to the 1997 NCAA championship game. And in 1997, and in that 1997 game, she was a part of the Final Four tournament team as well. During her time at Old Dominion, she collected 1,300 career points and finished her career as an all-time steal leader with 591 steals. Here is a short list of all the shit she won while at ODU. She's a two-time Kodak All-American from in 1997 and 98, ODU's second winner of the prestigious Lifetime Slash Wade Trophy and was also the first international player to win that honor, a four-time All-CAA honoree, named the Conference Players Player of the Year Award, the 95-96 year, and also the 96-97 year, while also claiming the Rookie of the Year Award in that 1994-1995 year. She was inducted into ODU's Sports Hall of Fame in 2006. She graduated from Old Dominion in 1998 with a degree in Communications and Interdisciplinary Studies. So she pretty much joined the WNBA Soon she finished college. She signed to the Sacramento Monarchs in 98 and stayed with them until 2011 when they became quote-unquote defunct, and she signed to the LA Sparks. Tisha is the all-time WNBA leader in assists and holds the WNBA single-game record for most deals with 10. She is known for her quote-unquote flashy playing style, which has shades of the Brazilian blur and other ethnically ambiguous nicknames that sportscasters love to use as euphemisms for brown players or like players that are not American. So I, I will just put, I, since I don't know what her playing style is, I had no choice but to use this terminology, which is why I put it in quotes. She helped the Monarchs win their first WNBA championship title in 2005. In her second year with the Sparks, she was voted by fans as a part of this top 15 at 15 in WNBA history. And in February of 2012, Tisha signed with the Chicago Sky, but her season statistics were significantly diminished due to injuries. And later in 2012, in September, she announced that she would retire from the WNBA at the end of the season. In her post-career, she has gone on to be inducted into the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame in 2014. In 2016, she was named as a part of the WNBA Top 20 at 20, as part of the Top 20 Players of All Time celebration for the league's 20th anniversary. 
She is currently an active sports agent with around 30 clients, though, among them current WNBA players, Kayla McBride and Courtney Vandersloot. She was also inducted into the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame in 2019. Now to talk about our girl, Lisa Leslie, on the LA Sparks. Her overall basketball card stats are as follows. She went to high school at Morningside in Inglewood, went to college at USC. She was an allocated draft pick in 97 and was selected by the Sparks. Her playing career was from 97 to 2009. Her position is center and her number is nine. Now, I don't know much about biology and I don't know much about the WNBA, but I do know my Lisa Leslie as she is an L.A. staple. And not only that, she is five fucking six and the first player to dunk in the WNBA. Do you in say she's career, five six? Yes. Or I'm sorry, not five six. She's six five. Okay. Just I was like. <laughs> she is not five six. She is six fucking five. And she is a dunker. Because she also used to do track and field. There's a correlation between track and field and also dunking, I suppose, in this scenario. But Leslie was born in Compton. Her mother, Christine Lauren Leslie, stood at six foot three. And her father, Walter Leslie, was a former professional basketball player. Christine started her own truck driving business to support her three children after Walter left their family when her mother was pregnant with her. During the first few weeks of middle school, a classmate begged Lisa to help out with the basketball team. On the first day of tryouts, the teams were split into two groups, lefties and righties, to run drills. Leslie was the only lefty in the group, so from then on, she decided to train herself to become right-hand dominant, but now she's ambidextrous. In the eighth grade, she transferred to a junior high without a girls' basketball team, so they let her join the boys' team. Her success there contributed to her confidence in her playing abilities. By 14, Lisa had, hadn't even started high school yet, but was receiving more than 100 college recruiting letters, including some from Division I programs like University of Tennessee and Stanford. In addition to playing basketball at Morningside, Lisa also played volleyball and track and field, where she was a state qualifier in the 400-meter run and the high jump. By the time she was a sophomore in high school, she was able to dunk the ball in the open court. She led her team to the 89 California State Championships. Lisa is so talented that they invited her to participate in the USA Junior World Championship team. For college, Leslie decided to stay close to home and went to USC from 1990 to 94. She graduated the bachelor's degree in communication and later completed her master's degree in business administration from, of all places, University of Phoenix. So I guess I can't really make any more University of Phoenix jokes. <laughs> is this the closest that we come to some sort of scandal in this in midst of like our WNBA episode? It's that someone attended a for-profit college. I feel like this right? is it. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they maybe paid her to to attend a little bit, sort of like Shaq when he went back to college and started going to some for-profit colleges. I'm sure <laughs> there's some incentive for you to go, but I don't know. I can't speculate too much more than that. But Leslie played a total of 120 college games, and set the Pac-10 conference records for scoring, rebounding, and block shots. She also holds the USC single-season record for block shots at 95. They won one Pac-10 conference championship and earned four NCAA tournament appearances. In 94 alone, she won multiple National Player of the Year awards, Naismith College Player of the Year award, USBWA Women's National Player of the Year award, Honda Sports Award for Basketball, and the WBCA Player of the Year award. The WNBA was incorporated in 96 and began playing in 97. Lisa was drafted on January 22nd by the Los Angeles Sparks as part of the initial allocation phase of the draft. She helped the Sparks make the playoffs five consecutive times, but the team did not win a WNBA title until 2001. Lisa was also named the 2001 Sportswoman of the Year by that 
same foundation, the Women's Sports Foundation. 2002, Leslie became, well, actually, this is a historic day. On July 30th, 2002, Leslie became the first woman to dunk the ball in the WNBA game. That same year, she became the first WNBA player to score over 3,000 total career points and contributed to the Sparks winning their second straight WNBA championship that season. Two seasons later, she became the first player to reach 4,000 career point milestone, which, like, she has a lot of firsts. Like, all of the firsts are with her. She is the fourth highest all-time rebound leader after Rebecca Brunson, Sylvia Fowles, and Tamika Catchings. In that same 2001-2002 season, she also became the third player in WNBA history to record a triple-double when she had 29 points, 15 rebounds, and 10 blocks. In the 2005 WNBA All-Star Game, Leslie had also become the first WNBA player to dunk in an All-Star Game. In 2009, she announced her retirement at the end of the season and later that year became the first player to score 6,000 points in her career. The Sparks held a farewell ceremony for Lisa during their final home game of the season in September. She finished holding the league records for points, 6,263 rebounds, 3,307, and points, rebound, assists, all-time record. In 2011, she was voted by fans as part of the top 15 players. In 2015, she was inducted into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame. Leslie was also inducted into the Basketball Women's Hall of Fame in 2015, and you bet she made the top 20 at 20 at the 20th anniversary. Post-career, since retiring, Leslie has worked as a sports commentator and, and, and analyst for several sports networks like NBC, ABC, and Fox Sports. She also released an autobiography called Don't Let the Lipstick Fool You. In 2011, she became a co-owner of the Los Angeles Sparks. In 2018, she joined Fox Sports Florida as a studio analyst on the Orlando Magic. But most perplexingly, Leslie was named the head coach of Ice Cube's Big Three expansion team, Triplets, on January 10th, 2019. And you better believe I did not look into that because I was like, uh, is that still even a thing? I don't even remember hearing about that. Do you have any idea? I think it was something that they are uh, – that they've just recently started. I mean, they may have put that on hold with COVID. I don't remember. But I, I like, glanced okay. upon it a little. Right. Because I'm like, I haven't heard hide nor hair of a Big Three expansion team – in the last, you know, year or whatever. I, I guess if you're trying to launch a sports team during a pandemic, it's maybe not the best idea, but we'll, we'll check back in on this big three, which is all cap big three, the number three, but all smushed together. And the name being triplets is like kind of redundant. But you know what, Cube? You do you. That's fine. And now I'm going to talk about our very last basketball player, Becky Hammond. Her top level stats are that she went to high school in Rapid City, South Dakota at Stevens don't know her college Colorado State from 95 to 99 and then she was undrafted her first year in 99 but then was eventually obviously drafted um by the New York Liberty but her playing career spans from 99 to 2014 her position is point guard her number is 25 and she is presently a coach Hammond learned how to dribble a basketball at a very young age from her older brother and her dad and continued to hone her skills at home Hammond played basketball at Stevens High School in her hometown. As a junior, she was named South Dakota Miss Basketball, which is kind of a condescending title. As a senior, she was voted South Dakota Player of the Year. And despite all of the awards, she drew little attention from college basketball recruiters who considered her to be too small, which she's a relatable queen actually coming in at 5'6". I'm not reversing those numbers. And too slow. She eventually grabbed the attention of a Colorado State assistant coach and she committed to the Rams. Hammond's prolific scoring for the Colorado State Rams made her an All-American three times, as well as a Colorado Sportswoman of the Year. 
She led her team to a 33-3 and record in the 98-99 season and helped them advance to the NCAA Tournament Sweet 16. She was named the WAC Mountain Division Player of the Year for 1998 and 1999. She received the Francis Pomeroy Naismith Award. How many Naismiths Award are they? Jesus Christ. From the Women's Basketball Coaches Association as the best senior player under 5'8", which feels kind of rude to like include the height there, but like, okay, you're, <laughs> it's like, you're good for your size. Like, you're good for sure. your age. Short but good. Short but good. Yeah. You're a short queen. Okay. In 2004, Hammond was inducted into the Colorado State University Sports Hall of Fame. The following year, her number 25 was retired at the Moby Arena. So suck on that, recruiters who thought she was too small and slow. For the WNBA, though, she was undrafted in her rookie season, but she eventually signed in May of 99 to the New York Liberty. She had a solid rookie season statistically, backing up point guard Teresa Weatherspoon, Her aggressive plays at both ends of the court made her a favorite among the fans, and primarily she was used to just come off the bench and score points, and that's what really made her like a breakout star. But her 2003 season was cut short by a knee injury, and after that, when she came back, she took over for Witherspoon as a Liberty starting point guard and became one of the team's co-captains in 2004. By 2007, she was traded to the San Antonio Silver Stars, where she posted career-high averages of 18.8 points per game, fourth best, and a 5.8 game average in 2007. She also led the league in assists that year. While in San Antonio, though, Hammond earned the nickname Big Shot Becky because of her her ability to make shots in important moments. Her nickname was derived from Big Shot Bob, a nickname given to the San Antonio Spurs forward Robert Horry. Remember Robert Horry? On April 4th, Hammond retired from the WNBA in 2014. She is a six-time WNBA All-Star. In 2015, she was inducted into the Ring of Honor during halftime game between the New York Liberty and the Seattle Storm. The Ring of Honor recognizes players who have made the most significant contributions to the Liberty's traditions of excellence and growth within the WNBA. In 2016, the San Antonio Stars retired Hammond's number 25 jersey prior to the Atlanta Dream Game. In her post-career, she had long expressed, even before retiring, wanting to become a coach. And in 2013, after she tore her left anterior circuitrate ligament in a game against the Sparks, and amidst, in, in the midst of her year-long rehabilitation, Hammond attend, attended Spurs practices, coaches' meetings, and games where they frequently asked her for her advice and her contributions. In 2014, she was hired as an assistant coach for the Spurs, becoming the second female coach in NBA history after Lisa Boyer worked as a volunteer volunteer assistant with the Cleveland Cavaliers and John Lucas in 2001. Volunteer. I just want to point. Volunteer. I would say first first paid coach. First paid assistant female coach. In 2015, Hammond became the first ever female head coach in the NBA's Summer League when the Spurs announced that she would coach their Summer League team. Hammond led the Spurs to the Las Vegas Summer League title on July 20th, 2015, becoming the first female NBA head coach to win a Summer League title. At the 2016 NBA All-Star Game, I remember this, Hammond became the first woman to be part of an all-star coaching staff. And on June 2nd, 2017, Hammond was interviewed for the position of general manager of the Milwaukee Bucks. She was not considered as a finalist for the position, unfortunately. Uh, that led for Paul Gasol to write this like open letter about how qualified she is, not as just you know, as a lady coach, but just as a coach, period. Like she has the experience. She has the knowledge. It was a very sweet open letter. I encourage you to look it up if you've never read it. I'll definitely do that. But during the seventh season with the, with the Antonio Spurs, actually this game happened very recently in 2020, December 2020. Ah, uh, good old pop. He was ejected in the second quarter of the Spurs game. Gotta love and him, man. All, 
I he's uh, just Class the, simply the, act Ugh. simply the best. Him and Steve Kerr mm-hmm. and Phil Jackson are some of like just oh the my god best coaches oh of my all time. God. Anyway, he was ejected of the Spurs game and they ended up losing. But she did. They ended up losing to the Lakers 121 to 107. But she did become the first female acting head coach in NBA history during that game. And that's fucking dope. That's and so that's dope. all I have for the WNBA all-star team players who who do nothing but win, 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 win. Oh, incredible. I am going to just go back a little bit into you talked earlier about the competing leagues. And while I am not going to give us a 30 for 30 today, I do want to do a little on this because it's very interesting. So we talked a little bit about earlier how um, most of the players in the WNBA, if they didn't start in the WNBA um, and they started in a rival league like the American Basketball League or the ABL, they made their way eventually. Um, so right at the time that the WNBA announced that they were going to start in 97, the American Basketball League or the APL is founded um, in 95 and then in 96, they play their first season. And they go after the We Got Next with their tagline, We Got Players, which, ooh, sick burn, ABL. (laughs) This league was a direct competitor to the WNBA. And while they weren't backed by the NBA, they had major players who went on to play for them. And many argue that the quality of the games played by the ABL were superior to the ones in the beginning of the WNBA. If you look at the 96 Olympic team, there's a divide in who went to play for the leagues, but actually two thirds, not Emily stats. Like I actually did the math here. Two thirds of the team initially went to the ABL, including Teresa Edwards, Katrina McLean, Don Staley, Jennifer Azee, Carla McGee, Katie Stedling, Venus Lacey, and Nikki McRae. Obviously this league only lasted for a few years and it actually only lasted for about two and a half seasons. So they had a 96 to 97 team, uh, season with eight teams, 97 and 98. They had nine teams and a few team moves. And um, ultimately they abruptly in the middle of the 98 to 99 season and ra- right around like game 12 through 15 for most teams uh, December 22nd, 1998, the ABL just abruptly declared Chapter 11 bankruptcy, suspended operations altogether. Each team had played just a few games. They were plans for an all-star game that was going to take place in San Jose the next month. Everything just shut down like that. And so many blamed for the NBA for the issues the organization faced, including inability to market themselves, which the WNBA could easily do thanks to the NBA's relationships. This was kind of part of it, but ultimately there was a lot of poor management and lack of funding with the ABL. The bureaucracy didn't have the money and focused a lot of the league-wide sponsorship efforts and endorsement deals uh, around the whole league and didn't give franchises much to do around local sponsorships. And so they ultimately ended up with no money, and so they disbanded. And so most of the women who played in the ABL would go on to uh, be drafted by teams in the WNBA. Really, as we talked about earlier, the WNBA will start its first season June 21st, 1997, with the first WNBA game featuring the New York Liberty versus the Los Angeles Sparks. They played at the Forum in Inglewood, and they had a little over 14,000 people in attendance. Um, That season would see more than 50 million people who watched the games on the three networks, NBC, ESPN, and Lifetime, which I thought was pretty wild. 
Um, going into 2000, though, really the biggest thing that will happen are more expansion teams in the late 90s and early 2000s. Um, so then, though, during the NBA lockout, however, uh, viewership went down. And by the time 2002 came around, uh, the teams and the league itself were no longer owned by the NBA. And so a major sale of all the teams happened. And basically, it kind of worked out where you either got sold to counterparts of your same city. So if you're the Houston Comets, the Houston Rockets would buy you or the owner of the Rockets and then, or to a third party owner. Um, this was in part because of the dot-com bubble, which I tried to find more around this. Like if there had been any, you know, shady pets.com type investments that led to this, uh, sadly it did not come up with much results. Um, but over the years, really the league has gone through ups and downs financially, but the league continues to be a model for professional sports and has seen a lot of interesting firsts, including first professional league uh, to launch a pride campaign, which they did in 2014 in response to many of their athletes coming out. Among those athletes were several WNBA players, such as, as you mentioned earlier, Cheryl Swoops. Um, Laisha Clarendon became the first openly transgender non-binary player in American professional sports when they came out during the 2020 season. The Minnesota Lynx were the first team in U.S. professional sports to wear Black Lives Matter warmups in 2016 after the murders of Alton Sterling and Philando Castile. And this was, might I remind you, the same year Colin Kaepernick decided to take a knee during the national anthem and the sports world was outraged for no fucking good reason. I was just floored to see, like, think about that that happened in the same year. Um, very, like, fuck the NFL, but very impressed with the WNBA. Four years later, they became the first league to dedicate a season to social justice. And finally, the WNBA is actually the first U.S. professional league to have two teammates who are married, the Chicago Sky's Courtney Vandersloop and Allie Quickly. And that's really all I have on the WNBA. Um, before we sign off today, do you have any additional things you'd like to say? No, I wish I did. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I was impressed. I was very impressed. The stats were incredible. I, yeah, I kudos to you. Uh, I mean, sorry, it was a lot of like letters and numbers uh, that I kind of said that I was trying to avoid and then go ahead, I went ahead and just gave them to you anyway. But without that, without their glowing accomplishments, you know, what else is there to say? Pretty much at this point, like as we said earlier, these are all incredibly accomplished people. Um, we can't really say anymore. And that's really all we have to say about that. So I guess I'll <laughs> end it by saying, I suppose I'll force myself to I mean force makes it sound bad like I guess I should just start watching the WNBA which is what I've said pretty much like once a month since they since their social justice movement started overtaking and other people were being really hesitant I was like I should really like fuck with the WNBA like I can't believe I don't like that's really terrible and then I just realized that I'm not very good at watching sports in general outside of like playoffs that I'll watch religiously every single game. So yeah, uh, I'll set it. I'll set an alarm for WNBA playoffs and I'll catch you guys all there. Perfect. I'll see you there. Thanks everyone for listening to our podcast. If you like what you heard, please check out our other episodes on Spotify, Apple podcasts, Stitcher, audible podcasts, pocket casts, wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. The best way to stay up to date on our latest episodes is to subscribe to our pod. And while you're at it, maybe leave us a rating and a review. Additionally, we are on social media. You can check us out on Instagram and Twitter at The Old Millennials Pod. Individually, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at Emily A. Bejen. And I am at Margs, she wrote. 
And until next time, we say bye-bye. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger. Feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.